anyone can learn anything they want. It's all in your head. You just gotta spend time on it. What the hell is really going on here? Aloha. To find myself. My mind is a garden. I skip with it. I'm an artist. I love art and I love you. I get to present the uh, awesome topic of depression today. So a couple things I want to say. It could sound like in some of the stuff I talk about that I have a negative association to antidepressants or psychiatric medication, and uh, I actually don't. Whatever a person's got to do to get through and make things happen, and I actually have seen them be very helpful when a person is in such a stressful situation or something's going on and then they just need to somehow get some sense of normalcy to make sense and then make choices from that place. And why this came about was Linda, the woman that I interview, she's been leading and working in programs for maybe 40, for sure 30 years. And she has a program called Depression Conscious Alternatives. Pretty much how this podcast or me talking about the stuff came about is that I remember sitting in this course and there was eight people in the course and I was just sitting there getting my mind blown. There was so much information in there and Linda will go off about it in the interview. But I remember just sitting there going, people need to hear this. This is really important. I needed to hear this. And I was thinking about all my friends, all the people I know that are professional athletes and function at a very high level, that this would make a lot of sense. And even just the hearing this, the knowledge of it was a huge break for me, that there wasn't something wrong with me and that actually I just had to learn. I was out of balance. I learned that I was out of balance because I was go, go, go all the time. And I had to learn how to do slow, how to chill out. And another person that uh, when this was physicalized for me, I actually worked with Paul Check. Personally, I went down to Escondido and I was lucky enough to work with him. And if anybody knows who Paul is, he's just direct, fully direct. And I remember pretty much right away in the first beginnings of, of being in, hanging out with him, he had me doing this uh, kind of a qigong exercise. And Paul's very much, a lot of his teaching are based in the the balance, the yin and the yang, the Chinese medicine. So he had me doing this tai chi exercise and he had me doing it really fast and he had me doing it mellow. And then he had me doing it really, really slow. Like it's just this thing. And it was funny because you'd think that it would be really easy. And when I was doing it really slow, I actually fell over. I couldn't get my balance unless I was going fast. And so Paul just very directly says, see, man, you just don't know how to fucking do slow. You need to learn how to do slow. And so I had to do that practice and build that practice of teaching my body how to slow down and that it was okay. Prior to doing the course with Linda and prior to listening to Paul and all this kind of stuff, I had an absolute belief, maybe subconscious, that slowing down was not safe. It was for the weak. It was a bad idea. And now I've actually learned it's essential for me to have <laughs> a life that I want to live. Also, the capacity that I have to go way down, to go way slow when I've been so up for so much of my life. So I hope I can put a different spin on it for someone who's feeling down or feeling depressed. And yeah, I had to learn how to let other people know what was going on for me and that every single person's different. And I believe I had to learn my system for me that works. Actually, I get to learn my system. And so I've built practices in my life. And trust me, I don't have this all figured out. I will 
burn myself out. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, God. And then boom, I'm back at it again. But then I just pick up my practice and it does work out. I can drag myself out of situations that I couldn't before. Anyway, here is the podcast or the interview with my good friend, Linda Nichols. I just seen a psychiatrist and she had just diagnosed me as being depressed, very depressed, and actually called me the poster boy for depression. Could be the poster boy for depression. And I understand a lot more now than I did then. But at the time when she told me, I was in a pretty rough state. And um, I remember seeing you after and I told you, I was like, oh yeah, I went to Vancouver and I saw the psychiatrist and she told me this and that. And then you said, I remember you saying something to the effect of like, Oh, I'd have some questions for her or something like that. And it's not about making the psychiatrist or anybody bad. It's just potentially opening up to a different realm of possibility. Yeah, I I have a recollection of that. And I don't remember exactly what I said. But I do remember feeling quite dismayed that what you were going through had, I, I would have called it premature diagnosis. And the reason for that is that I just think that based on what I knew about about your life and about what you'd been going through, I thought going down into a what I would call a lower energy or a completely different space was natural for the kind of life that you'd been leading. And I, 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 that's one of the things I think about depression. I think about even the word depression. It is a, a dip. It's like a dip in the road. It's a dip in the energy. And probably you've got lots of metaphors about when, when with surfing, for example, you must have lots of metaphors with the water. I mean, it's you don't. It's not possible to sustain that high pitch, high charge thrill constantly, even mm-hmm. though the desire is there for that. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I hear um, that kind of diagnosis as if suddenly you've gotten a terrible disease. I think I think that's what I think that that's a little bit gut wrenching um, uh-huh. for me. And I'd go, hey, you know, here's a guy who's obviously knows how to live in a high charge, high stimulation environment and you, and you love it. And at the same time, none of us are designed Probably you were designed to be able to sustain that a lot longer than a lot of people mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. were. Um, and at some point, though, it's actually healthy mm-hmm. in a twisted kind of way. You got to go down sometime. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and to, and, and, I I actually think one of the reasons why, for for those of us, because I've had my own experience. I've never been a surfer, but I certainly have my experience with, I'd call myself a bit of a charge freak in terms of my experiences over my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've come to discover is that 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 charge and sustaining that can be actually quite addictive. Mm -hmm. And... um, what actually drives often the need or the motivation to stay there and be there as much as possible can actually be a fear of slowing down, uh-huh. going into those lulls and hanging out there. 
And so then if someone comes along and says, when I'm in one of those lulls and I'm already afraid, I'm already not geared or my system is just not accustomed to going into that, and yet my system is crying out, come on, give me a break. Uh And then someone comes along and says, you had a disease. There's something wrong with you. All that does is feed the fear. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, so, you know, when I talk about depression, I I prefer to use a verb. I prefer to not even refer to I've got depression or you have depression because immediately it's fixed, it's stuck, I've got a disease, something's wrong with me, and not and I'm already not feeling so great about myself. Yeah. And yeah. now here's one more reason. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why I refer to it more as I am depressing right now. Uh-huh. And sometimes I'll even say I'm depressing. And right now I think that's one of the most important things I can actually do. Uh-huh. To back up to that part of the fear. So, yeah, when, when this person said you're depressed. Yeah. Like I, 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 I'll be totally straight. I mean, actually, I'm getting a little emotional because I was so scared at that point. Like I was, I just didn't know mm. what was going on, and I was trying so many different things, mm. and I was so <laughs> terrified. And mm. and then, and I, I really don't want to make this person bad. No. The the thing is, I want to bring awareness to the fact that it's very important as someone who's working with someone when a person's in a weakened state to say, you are this, mm-hmm. you are this, this is mm-hmm. your diagnosis. It was just like, it was really for me the the, the five days following that were I think the hardest, um, deepest, darkest, <laughs> scariest place that I'd ever gone to. I was just like, holy fuck, I am fucked. Actually, this is ridiculous, but I was actually laying on my couch in fetal position and my and by this time I'd done all this personal growth I'd done all this work on myself and I just couldn't figure it out I just couldn't figure it out and my mom was vacuuming around me like I always make a joke that it was like one of those um like a scene from a crime you know they they do like a a silhouette of the person like my mom was vacuuming my 70 plus year old mom was vacuuming around me and she's like She's like, I think you need to stop doing whatever you're doing, this personal growth stuff, because I've never seen you like this. This is, and this is, I'm here, I am 47 years old, tough as nails, Sean, you know, the great Sean Kearns, whoever I thought I was. And I remember, I remember walking to the bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror and being like, at one point, it was like, who's doing this? Who's doing this? No one's doing this to me. And I walked to the bathroom, looked at myself in the mirror and said, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing this. And it was like something shifted. And the part that I wanted to say that was so interesting, what you just said to go back about the verb was, so I did your course. You did. You do a course called uh, Depression Conscious Alternatives. I think that's what it's called. Dep- yep, yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. And this is where, th- this is a big reason why I'm doing this podcast is because I was sitting in that course Actually, I, I helped you lead it later, but in the but but right at the beginning, the first time I ever did the course, you came at it from this place of, I actually like my depression. I've befriended my depression. I've actually, and right then and there, it was like, holy shit, I have had this subconscious, unconscious story that depression is for losers. Depression is weak. It's a sickness. It's for people who can't handle life. And actually, when the way you were spinning it was, 
no, no, this is when my body's telling me to listen. Yeah. This is when something needs to change or shift or, um, or slow down. And I realized now that I, I actually have depressed my whole life. It, I was doing it subconsciously. What I would do is I'd go get wasted beyond belief. And then I would have like a five day hangover. And that was the time that I made it okay for me to sit down, stop and not do anything. I was, I was like, okay, I'm so hungover. I can't move. And then yeah. my body, but the rest of the time I was going full speed ahead all the time, always top, like so scared to stop, so scared to slow down. So I think what you just said is absolutely like, yeah, like this whole positive thinking all the time, keeping it positive all the time, not my experience that didn't work out for me in the long run. Well, when I, when you were talking about, um, the only way that you could slow down or in a way give yourself permission to slow down was by getting wasted is um, I, I think that's part of it is that the oh, the process of getting wasted um, and whatever substances or whatever you whatever you use to get yourself to, to that state is again um, a way of getting something else or someone else to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Because I believe really deep down then what's really unconscious is a belief that somehow you're not worthy of that or a belief that somehow you're utterly helpless mm -hmm. in the face of your own high energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, man, you know, I think, um, I mean, I, I think of that, that process of depressing ourselves and then, you know, making it into an illness and, and doing it all that. At, at the core, I think that that draw into the slowness and into the dark and into the, into the heaviness is actually uh, somewhere deep, like a soul call that's saying, hey, uh, you know, I want to be. I want to be saved here. I want to be. I want to be recognized. I want to be. I want to be acknowledged. And so, in a way, it can be seen as positive, but it's not a whole, whole, ha ha, good time positive, uh -uh. man. <laughs> this requires a kind of courage. It's it's like redirecting the the courage that goes into facing death in a thrilling way. Uh huh. And in these moments, the thrill is gone. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually turning around and having the heart for yourself and the courage to really face like the depth. And it sounds like the depths of your own self-criticism and recognizing how far you can go with demolishing yourself mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. your judgments. and Looking back at it now... At the time in my life when I would say that I became depressed, I call it the dark decade of my soul because I started to go down. First of all, I didn't tell anybody anything. And I was just like, I'm just banging around doing my thing. And then, but I started to hurt. And then it was like, I just, the only thing I could say to people was, I don't know, something, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's up. And people were saying, something like my brother, people close to me were like, something's off. Like something's up. I've never heard you talk like this. I've never heard you be like this. And I think what happened was, um, like I told you, in 2004, my father died in my arms. And I had no idea how to deal with that at all. In my humanity, 
I had no idea. Like spiritually, I remember being like looking at the trees. The trees are waving. Oh, that's my father. Like I remember. And actually having a sense of like this, his presence and everything. And what I just really didn't know how to do was the humanity part, the grieving part. I didn't yeah. know how to. I remember being like quite chipper at his, like I just didn't know how to. I was watching people crying and I was like, I'm all good, like spiritually, like I'm with him. Like I went surfing, the seagull flew over me. Oh, that's my dad. Like really I had these moments that were very profound and, and for me, but then there was just this other part that was, and then what I did is I started to ramp up my life and speed it up and just, and, um, and then other things started to happen. Like now looking back, I so clearly see that I was just not, no one had taught me or I wasn't okay with parts of myself like sadness and um, anger and all these other parts and, and helplessness that yeah. I just wasn't okay. And I just actually had this thing. I used to call people humans, actually. I was so arrogant and my way of getting through life was I'd be like, oh, fucking human. Look at him, he's crying. Or he's got a sore back. What a human. I used to say this stuff because I just was like, there's no way. I'm just- so for you, human was a derogatory a negative thing, it, the way you were yeah, it was saying abso- it. It was yeah. absolutely, it was like, I was like, fucking, mm. fucking humans. Like, and like, you know, uh, when you talk about the, the, you mentioned grief, I actually have come to believe that uh, grieving is a skill. It's a skill that we actually have to learn because certainly in our culture and probably for generations within our culture, there hasn't been an honoring of the process of grieving, just like there, just like uh, the process of going into melancholy or the process of going into um, these slowing down periods in our lives have been fixed and labeled as depression instead of saying, oh, right now I am in a process of depressing and accepting that, that there hasn't been an acceptance or or even information about how do I handle the depth of sorrow and, and grief when something like that occurs, like mm-hmm. holding your father in your arms and being with your father as he dies. Mm-hmm. And then there, there, like you're saying, there's nowhere nowhere to go, not really people. People are, we're, we're so fixed aided in our culture upon fixing anything that doesn't fit kind of the happy mold. Uh-huh. And so we see what occurs naturally for us as humans as something to be fixed right away uh-huh. and something to be controlled or overcome or gotten rid of. Uh-huh. And so um, I often see over the years, I've seen so many people who are in actually unexpressed, misunderstood grieving that eventually will manifest as, you know, a diagnosable Mm -hmm. um, depression. Mm -hmm. And uh, because there hasn't been, um, I think there's there's a certain kind of guidance and a certain kind of skill Mm -hmm. to have a, a, an authentic expression of the depth of those feelings. And those feelings are high energy feelings. Anger, anger and rage at, at the loss or what's occurred and, and the depths of the sorrow. And those are, if you want to call it that way, those are high charge emotions. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of those, mo- when we're you know, on the top and in the charge, a lot of times that charge and that energy is actually being unconsciously driven by 
um, those feelings, and it's fantastic. Uh, however, at some point, at some point, there's a deeper call to say, okay, let's now, never mind the outlet, let's really address the root, and the root is often related to unexpressed anger that we're afraid of or unexpressed sorrow and sadness that we have been afraid of or haven't known how to express. Uh-huh. So you see, there's, it's all interwoven mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that way. And I, I do think, I mean, I, I think that for like being able to hit those highs, being able to live in those thrills and, and, um, and live those thrills that a lot of people are actually afraid to do, uh-huh. and keep themselves small and narrow. It's like somewhere, like when you've got that that capacity for that um, intensity of energy, mm-hmm. then to me that means you also have the same intense capacity for going down into the depths. Uh-huh, yep, yep. And so it's like a redirection for a period of time of, of courage and energy, but it's calling for a deeper kind of acceptance. Yeah, yeah. And I thought when you're, you know, you told me your mom said, okay, Sean, it's time to get up off the couch. I thought, you know, that was probably one of the most helpful, loving, she might've been pissed off at you for being in a way. Yeah. However. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was. In another was, way. Yeah, it was pissed off. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say in another way, I could see that's a loving thing because it's by look at yourself, man. Yeah. You no. Know, uh, but the first thing is get up off the fucking couch, yeah. which is what you did. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then I think you, I heard you say you stood in front of the mirror and you said, nobody else is doing this to me. Yeah. It's not a germ. Maybe your hormones and we could measure your chemistry, but your chemistry is driven by your beliefs and your thoughts and your attitudes. Yeah. So when you had that brilliance in the depth of all that to say, nobody else is doing this to me. And your mother had the brilliance to say, just get off the fucking couch. (laughs) That was probably the beginning Yeah. (laughs) and one of the most important beginnings. Yeah. Because I... I think that's another thing that happens with depression Yeah, is it creates fear in the people around you because those people around you will go, he's not normal anymore. He's not being the old Sean. Uh-huh. So there's got to be something wrong instead of, guess what? This is something natural. I wondered when this was going to happen, Sean. Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. yeah. And so right away they want to, all the anxiety about you're not, yourself and you're already anxious because you're already not experiencing you as yourself. Yeah. So it's all just a massive collaboration and collusion in in um making this into a pathology. It, absolutely. And that it was my experience of that. That 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 was my experience was I created um, you know, in my beliefs of how I had to be as a person, how I'd created myself. And, and actually, it's pretty funny because some people did, like my good friend, J.P. Walker, my brother. Uh, like, I remember J.P. said to me, he said, he said, you know, he said, when your dad died, like, you, you just, like, you didn't even come close to processing that. Yeah. And, and, I, and I remember being like, why didn't you tell me? And then I'm like, man, I'll tell you what. No, I wouldn't have listened to anybody. There's no way. Like my my construct of how I was going through life in those days post Dark Night of the Soul was my arrogance. My arrogance was what got me through 
because I, I had some fucked up stuff happen. So I built an arrogance around me of I know what's best for me and don't ever fucking tell me what's best for me. I fucking know. And that's okay. That worked for a long time. And thank God it did. That arrogance got me into a life that most people would dream to spend one week in. And I spent 20 years flying around in helicopters and all these things because of that arrogance. It got me in there. You know, it's... It, uh, and or whatever it was, just that will to stand up and be like, no, I know what's best and I'm going to do this. And there's a little bit of entitlement in there, too, of like, I'm just a little bit. Just to, <laughs> Shut up. And so, <laughs> but I do want to go. It's funny. You said to go back to the me laying on the couch, something you just said that just hit so hard was that moment. So the other thing that I didn't say um, was so f- five days prior to me being in fetal position on the couch was. Um, and I think I actually asked you, and I think I asked, actually asked Wraith B and a few other people, like, I was like, because they want me to go on antidepressants, and I did. There's no doubt in my mind, I don't give a shit what anybody says, because my fucking life, and I get to fucking choose my beliefs. My beliefs are my body, from the time I was taking those antidepressants, those five days were the worst days of my life that I took the antidepressants. It wasn't because of the antidepressants. I believe it was my body saying, fucking not this. Don't do it. This is not okay. Do not do this. And so that's when all that little five days led to me fetal position, my mom looking in the mirror and going, this, no one else is doing this. This is you. And I stopped taking the antidepressants and, and there was a shift like, it's gotten better slowly and I had to work my way out and do the work on myself, but it really was, um, a shift at that point. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm feeling better. Awesome all the time. But there was enough of a difference for me to know that I was creating a lot of the discomfort myself. I was, I was creating my suffering. Um, you know, sure, there was a bunch of other things going on, but there was enough of a shift, just like a, like a, it backed off a notch for me to be like, okay, whew, stop taking the antidepressants. That was no, my body was like, stop. Hmm. So I wonder, uh, you know, and, and, and thank God I came across people. I mean, that's what this is about. This is, that's what this topic is about and what you just talked about. So imagine being, so here I am, God, I'm getting emotional right now, but for some reason, cruising along through life and somehow I find skateboarding and I find surfing and I find snowboarding and I find community and I find this career. And that whole career was scooting along the top of the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> literally, actually, literally physically on the top of mountains and never really wanting to come down. And so even when I was walking through town and doing these other things, I was scooting through. And so I, I think of like professional athletes, I think of like whether it's a uh, – a professional football player or a snowboarder or a surfer, any of these things. So you get to scoot along the mountains for a long time. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I know I'm generalizing because some people make totally beautiful transitions into other lives after and all this kind. But the, usually the guys who are the best, the best, the naturals, I call them, whether it's surfers or football players, stuff, the guys who just, usually it's those guys that have what you just talked about, which is like the the high, the capacity for the high. Mm-hmm. And then like for me, well, it, um, also this capacity for the, for the, well, for lack of a better term, like highly fucking sensitive. Like I'm yeah. this asshole who runs around and smashes bottles on his head and breaks things and flies around helicopters, the fuck he wants, asshole or whatever, powerhouse, whatever. But then what I've learned is there's this other part of me that's deeply, deeply caring and deeply, and I'm able to be with people um, 
when they're hurting in a way that is so natural for me, that is just like, oh, buddy, I got you. Like, I'm with you right now. And so that's a, that's a stretch from the guy who's flying around in helicopters on the top of the mountains. And I think actually that was my shadow. Yeah. Was this deep, caring, caring individual that apparently a lot of people think I've always had. I didn't realize. They're like, yeah, you've always cared and it's been really apparent. And so I think of other athletes, other people, and I'm like, holy shit, like there's no, there's not really a system or, uh, or something that I know of where someone can relate to someone who's flown that high and then they come down into this like, okay, now it's going into this other dark night of the soul. And that's basically what this podcast is all about is like before you get into antidepressants, before there's a whole other realm that you might want to look into or people you might want to be with. And like you said, people used to get together in circles. This is what they've done for eons and eons and eons. And what you actually do by having the, the you know, the grieving workshop and is you're actually it's funny they call them workshops now and people have to pay money i mean this is how this is how absurd it is but what happens when we get people together in these grieving workshops and seeing like oh fuck i very i very fucking clearly see why every person in this room would be diagnosed with depression because every single person in this room has had a, a major loss whether it's a son or a husband or a wife or a dog and no one's taught them how to process this. No yeah. one's shown them a way. And so when you're doing the workshop and we're encouraging anger and we're encouraging sadness and joy and the wailing, oh my God, like who's doing this work, Linda? Like you got to give yourself some fucking credit here because <laughs> to, to in, our, in a Western society to actually create a space where people can actually make sound for how badly they're hurting, like for me and my dogs and my dad and things I've lost, like it hurts. Mm -hmm. I hurt. And yeah. for me to make the noise of, and I've been with you when you've encouraged people to let it out, to let it out. There's therapists sitting in office trying to talk it out. And there you are holding someone fucking in your arms and just being like with them, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's incredible to see. And it's so important. And it's, I see why people get depressed and why they have anxiety. I mean, I'm repeating myself now, but what do you think about that? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm moved just being with your emotion. I can see your emotion and, and feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I guess I'm, re I'm relating because in my own life, I've in myself been to the depths of sorrow and and loss and i think those of us who have had those experiences as have you mm -hmm. have the capacity to empathize and simply be there with other people mm -hmm. and from inside of that experience um i actually haven't wanted I haven't wanted people to come along and fix mm -hmm. what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also, I'm not sure exactly why I'm feeling emotional right now. Um, however, I think I feel passionately about, um, for example, the loss, the loss of loved ones, whether it's your dog or whether it's father or son um that um 
as Stephen Jenkinson talks about, a guy called Grief Walker, mm-hmm. he says, loving and grieving are twins. Uh, yeah. And so we only grieve what we love. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think it's a, it's a process of honoring our own capacity for loving and being with others who are in that particular process at that particular time and fixing it. Fixing it is like chopping off the love. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I think, for example, when you talk about that range, that range to go, like, go through those ordinary everyday barriers that a lot of us don't break through to those exquisite highs and then being able to to live there and be there and function there is that um, there is an there's an exquisite peak in that energy where there's a, it's almost like there's not a separation between pleasure and pain. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And yet, you know. So, so the fear is of the of the emotional pain. There's not a fear of physical pain, is there? No. Do you feel you're not when you're in there. You don't, are you not no. worried about? No. Yeah, that's Go what ahead. I was imagining. It's yeah. like I'll bring it on. Fuck no problem. Yeah, just bring it on, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. But the but the sensitivity, the emotional pain, in some ways, I think for most of us is actually even more life threatening. We can face a physical, a physical. F- um, fear, which yeah. is a charge, uh-huh. but we—it's like we're not built to go there with our, with those exquisite emotional pains. Uh-huh. So, in a way, I think that the depression coming on for people who have, you know, high charge folks—want <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. to call them that—is a call in a sense to wholeness, and it does come at different stages and and later in life, and and. Um, and and it's a it's an it's an opportunity in some ways, but it's a call to embrace a wholeness. But there's got to be the willingness uh-huh. to go and be in the exquisite pain. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. And that's not easy. And that's what that's what you referred to the circles. Yes. And that's what to me <clears throat> is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Is getting in these circles because a lot of the stuff we've been able to manage alone up till then, like you said, you yeah. know, fuck off. I'm doing my thing. Yeah. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything else. Yeah. Um and it's getting into those circles and recognizing and being able to be in those places and not be alone. Yeah. Like there's other life forms there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, and and that's and that's part of it. That's yeah. that's part of the holding of that space um, and recognition. Eventually, recognizing I can be here too, and I'm not going to die. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 And and the wailing is, is again. That's that opening. That's that being with. It's being with that mm-hmm. that energy and that and that sound and and being with people while they're and not being ashamed. Yes, yeah. Like not being ashamed. I'm a person that I fear. I grieve. I'm sorry. I'm joyful. I love. I you know. And and I'm not ashamed to be fully the full range of 
who I am, yeah. which includes the highs and the lows. Yeah. And yeah. The, yeah. And the lows are, they can be like, I mean, for me to, to um, be with the loss of my, I mean, the, the thing about the loss of my, the loss of my dog, the f- female Lou, for me to be with that, for some reason, there was something about the helplessness of me not being able to communicate with her. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I, I say this often, I'll take a human death over a dog death any day. Yeah. Um, and there was something, there's something so scary. There's something I, I don't think I'm ever going to figure it out and I don't want to figure it out, but there's something so raw in the, that I couldn't talk with her when she was looking at me before I was putting her down that I was just like, there's something just like helplessness. It's helpless. Like I can't even tell you what's happening right now, even though I believe in the spiritual world, you know, what's going on, but the, and it was so uncomfortable. It was so, it was beyond uncomfortable. I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I just was a mess. Mm, and yeah. something that you and I were talking, I was, it was funny. We were, you, I was just going to say no, something go ahead, go ahead, there please. when you were saying that, because I knew Lou and I, and I mean, I know Rupert now, yeah. I know her, her brother. And there is a purity of innocence or loving, or there's a purity in those eyes, those, mm. you know, the, just looking into those animals' eyes. And that, that, that can't be, it's not contaminated by, by, I don't know, talking and words and expression and all of that. So there's something that just goes beyond words and goes straight in, I think, mm-hmm. to our hearts. And that's a, uh, that's a, I can imagine mm-hmm. the tenderness of that is, wow. Well, I think that, that they, they accept me as I am. Yeah. All of me. Yeah. Like, and they see, they know I'm like a bit of a mess and a weirdo and all this shit. And they like look at you and they're like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to hang out with you anyway. It's like, oh. Yeah. And it's like you're looking into the eyes of your own acceptance, which. Yeah. You don't experience any other way. No. And like you said, I like what you just said without all the, what did you say? Without all the... Contamination. Contamination. <laughs> yeah. With all this stuff and this and that. And these dogs are just staring right at me and it's like, oh. And something you and I were talking about last night was, so you came back from Brighton and you were just, what's that guy's name that you just went and Dr. Saw? Joe Dispenza. Yeah. And you spent some time there and then we were talking about workshops and groups and all this kind of stuff. And, and actually, I remember when we were talking last night, I was getting a bit frustrated because I want to fix everything and I want to make everything perfect. So we need to design the f- perfect workshop and then this and that. Yeah. Oh, I've just learned this. So did I, but something happens. So I know that I can get frustrated like that, but then you and I are going to be, um, you're leading that group on the 1st of January. And I know, I settled myself with, I know that when we get in a room full of people and, and there's a circle and people get together, Everything's fucking okay. Yeah. It's all going to settle. All the questions of trying to fix the world and figure it out and all this kind of stuff. When I get in a group and something happens when people circle up and they actually have the courage to be in a room with other people and Mm -hmm. show up, um, something happens and all the questions kind of leave and it becomes very present and in the moment for Mm me. And the part that um, I'm thinking about... Um, oh yeah. The part that I wanted to mention, you were asking this in our conversation last night was you were like, I want to know the why. I want to know why people won't make the changes or they won't do the things because, because so here's the thing. So a lot of people have known me from my past as being this party, whatever. Okay. And, you know, I don't want to paint myself as being all bad because I wasn't all bad. We actually did a lot of really cool stuff. And, um, 
And the part that, that has got me interested is, so a lot of my friends have seen the changes. They've, they've been like, I mean, I was even telling you in the surf community I'm a part of, they're like, oh, I sure like the new Sean versus the old Sean, yeah. you know? And it's like, yeah. And so I even have these friends who are like super solid friends and they 30-year friends and they've, they've seen it. They're like, holy shit. You, you know, you're, you're, I went from the person that you would last invite to a funeral or would not want to be there because he's going to be the most wasted to the guy who now MCs my friend's funerals. Like, this is the difference. I'm not some big prophet or anything like that, but this is what I've buried two of my best friends in the last few years, and I've asked, been asked to MC the funerals. So that's a, that's a significant change. Yes. Um, and in me too, like I, my change in me was I used to think about how I had to act at funerals. Now I'm just me. Um, or do the best I can. But the part is I'm astonished that my friends are still, they just won't, I'm like, hey, so I'm leading a group or I'm going to do this group or I'm going to do this thing. Do you want to come? And just friends and family, they just won't go. They're just like, and and the story is, the story is, oh, I'm not good in groups. I'm not good with groups and other people and stuff. And this whole thing about privacy, this whole thing about privacy. And I had that too. I mean, I was living in Jordan River hiding out in this cabin, hiding, isolated, thinking this is how I want to be. And this whole thing about privacy and what I actually learned is I'm actually dying to be in groups with people. I'm dying to 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 sit with other people and what's going on for them. And I was dying. I mean, that, I yeah, was it's an interesting phrase, yeah, <laughs> dying I, to I, be with people. Yeah, it was actually physically, I actually physically was. Like I didn't want to live anymore. And then when I found the haven and I found phase one, I did a month long program sitting in a group. After two days, something different happened. Like enough for me to be like, I actually want to be with people. My body was in this cabin out on the coast was hurting so bad. And then, so I, I, I mean, that's the question. Why? Like, and I was telling you the story about my doctor too, him saying that I asked my doctor, and I don't want to say his name, get him in trouble. But basically I asked him, we were surfing one day and I said, my doctor serves. How awesome is that? But anyway, so it's like I asked him, I said, who, you know, what percentage? And he said, you know, on a, on a generous day, he would say 20% of people are willing to at least think about changes they can make. But he's like, really? 10% max, like, would be a high number for people who are actually willing to make changes in their life. And that, what what is that? Like, what... What do you think that is? And I mean, I know you've got, you've heard this from Carol and Miss and other people like we're so invested in our wounds yeah, or whatever, but it's unbelievable. And my friends just won't even do it. They, they won't do it either. Like they just won't check. And I'm not mad at them and, but they just won't go and do groups. And I can see they're hurting. I can see things like people are struggling with depression and anxiety and all these things. I'm like, well, check out these circles. People get together. There's Esalen, there's The Haven, there's Hollyhock. There's places where people get together um, and they won't do it. What do you think? Like, what, what is it? I, if I had a really clear, easy answer to that, I'd, I'd definitely be out there definitely be out there sharing it. Um, I, I, you've probably heard me say this before, but it's the dirty diaper theory. Yeah. What's explain that <laughs> Personal one. Growth. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's like getting, you know, you'd imagine yourself sort of, you know, those little babies that are running around and the diapers are all tight and there's, you know, just basically the diapers warm and filled with shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then all of a sudden, whew, the diaper drops, and suddenly it's exposure, uh, complete 
raw exposure. The cold air hits. All of a sudden, there's a huge sense of vulnerability. Yeah. And so what do we do? We go scurrying back into the warmth and the familiarity of the dirty diaper. Uh-huh. And so, Which is even, even if it's warm shit. Even it's, if it's warm shit, the shit, the warmth of that, the familiarity yeah. of it is soothing even if it is shit. Even if it is shit compared to the vulnerability, the openness. The, the raw vulnerability of being exposed without the familiar protections, the familiar protections in everyday life or the roles, the, you know, the patterns, the habits, the the shtick that we all adopt to get ourselves to get ourselves through. Yeah. And so there is and, and of course the fascinating thing with groups, as you know, is once we get there, I think it doesn't even necessarily yeah, courage, courage is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um However, I think also one of the, if if nothing else, if you could bring nothing else into that would be curiosity. Uh-huh. Because I think a lot of times when we get stuck in the mire of life or problems or issues or things are not going the way I want them to go, is often curiosity dies. That's one of the, that's the thing with being in the depressing process often. There's an absence of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I found over and over and over again that um, part of what works, there's a field of energy, there's a field of connection that's created in a group, even if I'm not really into it in the beginning. However... I don't even have to be contributing. If I'm sitting and listening, I'm taking, I'm, I'm getting out of myself for a few minutes. Because the other uh, characteristic of being in a depressing process is often very, very self-involving. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So curiosity about how's anybody else doing, what's going on in the world, what's going on across the street, what's going on with you rather than what's going on with me tends to fade into the background because uh-huh. inside I'm I'm down in the hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so even the smallest of interest of listening or wondering, oh, I wonder what's actually going on with that person. Or they might say something, I think, oh, yeah, I relate to that. So it's, it's a way to begin to you know, maybe a fingernail at a time uh-huh. to climb out of my own hole. Yeah, yeah. Because that hole is isolation. Yes. That's one of the key characteristics of being in a depressing process is isolation. Isolation, yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, so just that little bit of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the alternatives to getting jammed in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the yeah to be in a group full of people, and then I, I remember if I remember doing, I remember taking the depression course, <laughs> and then I remember you. I think it was a couple years later. Like, oh, can you come help me? I've, I need an assistant or whatever. And and uh, I remember a few days into it. First of all, I, well, I remember at the beginning of the course, you were like, I think it was. A, I think it's only a three day course. It's a three three. No, it's actually five days. Is it depression? Yeah. Yes. I thought it was a shorter one. It's the boundary one that's shorter. Yeah. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Boundaries that, is three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So that yeah. And I remember like day two or three of the depressing course. I remember just being absolutely and totally fucking depressed. And, yeah. And, and you being like <laughs> you being like, oh yeah, something I forgot to tell you. Um. Yeah. So doing working this depression course can actually be 
pretty depressing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks. But then it was like, it was cool because then it was like, okay, here I am. Like practice what you preach. Here I am. I'm in the energy with these people and we're going down. And you and that that's something that you said, we got to go down. We got to go into it with them. Yeah, I got to open open into the because often in the in depressing there's still an attempt to to um cut it off. Mhm. Cuz it all the focus is on getting out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the acceptance has to do with um first of all got to accept this is where I am. Yeah. The fullness of of where I am. At least that's part of the process. Yeah. Not to stay there. Not to stay there, no. Yeah. And there's there's something I, there's something that's really funny. That what was it? The do you remember the five? If you are depressed, the five things to absolutely not do. If you if you don't if you want to if you don't want to be depressed anymore. If, what is it? If you're if you want to stay depressed, here's what yes. you don't do. Yes. <laughs> and one is breathe. I can't remember, yeah. but there's a whole bunch. But there's one yeah. is breathe. Yeah. Don't move. Don't move. Yeah. Don't be curious about anybody else, whatever you do. Yes. Whatever you do, don't actually be curious yeah. about anybody else. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Is that right? Is it like, or don't, uh, I can't remember, but there's don't tell anybody and. Uh, yeah, don't connect with anybody else. Yeah, don't, don't connect move. With yeah. And then there's another one that was, uh, God, I can't remember. But anyway, basically these things like, yeah, don't breathe. Don't, oh, yeah, don't do anything different. Yeah, don't whatever do you an- do, don't ever, don't ever explore or experiment or try to do anything different. Yeah, and you will, yeah, if you want to stay depressed, don't do anything different. You know, don't, you know, just stay stuck, basically. Yeah. And it was, it, for me, who comes mostly life from a counterintuitive approach and almost a rebellious thing, that really <laughs> helped was like, okay, like, like if I'm if I'm down there in the depths and someone says, well, why don't you take a breath? Well, why don't you go fuck yourself? How's that? Or, yeah. you know, why don't you connect with someone? Go fuck yourself. Like I'm dying here. But when some reason when you spun it, like, so if you're depressed and you want to stay depressed, here's what you don't do. So when it was like, I don't know, maybe it's just my rebel thing or whatever, but it's like, so don't breathe. Yeah, whatever you do, <laughs> yeah, don't Whatever breathe. you do, don't breathe. And I'm like, for some reason, then that one was like, for me, it was like, Fuck you! I'm gonna breathe. I'm gonna and, take a breath. You know, and and the breathing. Um, I'll tell you through, uh, through my own experience. That, you know, that's the part that just absolutely I get twisted and fascinated about this because you know I've got, for example, I'm told I have depression. So I go to the doctor. The doctor gives me a prescription. The doctor tells me, you must take these pills morning, noon, and night, and you must pay X number of dollars for these pills. And whatever you do, don't miss a pill. Don't miss a dose. Don't miss a day. And so we go off and do that. Yeah. And yet breathing, conscious, deeper breathing is completely free. Yep. We can do it anywhere, anytime. It's one of the most beneficial, life-giving, inspiring, healthy, mentally, physically, spiritually thing we can do. And um, what do we do? We don't do it. Yeah. We breathe just enough to not faint. Yeah. And we walk around tight, held, 
minimal, minimal breath. Yeah. And I think, what is with this? Yeah. What? Yeah. What is going on? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so you know, it it seems too simple, too accessible, uh, too easy, I guess. Um, to to say, okay, if I actually simply ten minutes a day breathe deeply, that's mm-hmm. one of the that's that's as one of the most beneficial things we can mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. I almost took a leap and said, "Take a leap, Linda." Yeah, like you know. <laughs> I'm. I believe this whole issue of medications for depressing, depressing, and depression. <laughs> the issue of medications. I believe that for some people, the medications are beneficial. Yes. Yeah. My personal attitude toward that is that they're like a crutch. If I break my leg, I need a crutch for a while. I need a cast for a while. I need some support to support me on the healing process. So I'm not totally, I won't say that I'm completely Mm anti-medication. Nor am I. Yep, yep. However, there are so, and there's tons of studies also. There's so many studies that say that actually overall the effect of the medication is actually no more beneficial than many of the other alternatives. Mm-hmm. And I'm not into quoting statistics right right now. However, there's a lot of startling statistics yeah. that um, also talk about the um, side effects and the and the um, detrimental aspects of the medications also. Uh What I'll say is that when it comes to things like committing to the breathing, to the moving, and um, connecting, Mm -hmm. breathing, moving, connecting, which seem impossible Mm -hmm. in the depths of lying on the couch in your mother's living room with her men, you know, men. Vacuuming around you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how kind. However. How <laughs> <laughs> so kind. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, they're they're so powerful. Yeah. So 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 powerful, and not believing that um, I have to do it alone. That's mm-hmm, the thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I think of sitting in the circle, is that. Um, over time, there's a companionship or a connection that that occurs where um, that I think really addresses that shame. Sometimes we're not even conscious of how much shame mm-hmm. I think we feel about about, about how we are. About f- for me, um, yeah. The, like you, and I think you mentioned too, just the 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 shame that comes with somehow I'm I'm already believing I'm deficient, and then here I am, I'm even more deficient because I've got a diagnosis or I've got oh yeah or yeah. or I know I know there's a lot of shame around taking medications. Mm-hmm, People mm-hmm. will reveal that eventually in the groups that mm-hmm. they they lie about taking medications because they're taking the medication believing that it's helpful. 
and having the experience that it's helpful. And at the same time, they're hating themselves for taking the medication because they're believing that somehow they're deficient or at fault yeah. for yeah. having to take the medication. Yeah. So oh, I've, I've, we're, we're, we just know how to just fuck ourselves around with all of this so, yeah. so terribly. Absolutely. It's like, yeah, there's something. And then there's this other thing of, of like, you know, one of the worst things is this whole thing about like, oh, third world problems. So suffering, suffering, man. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. So you can be the person who's starving in wherever, Ethiopia, or you can be the... Uh, executive billionaire who's got more money than whatever. And you can be, uh, in fact, it's my experience that the, usually the billionaire is the guy suffering, can even suffer more. And then, but there's a story, or even if it's just the average person, it's like, oh yeah, we live in this, there's nothing to complain about, you know. Uh, there's no reason to complain. There's no reason to uh, not feel good. There's no da, 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 da. But here's the thing, like I'll give you an example. Like my, I love stories and metaphors. Like I'm thinking about, when I was younger, I was a bicycle courier and I was going in and out of offices all the time. And actually I realized now this saved my ass, but I was actually in downtown Vancouver going in and out of offices all the time. And I would see these out of shape, stressed out lawyers, accountants, all this kind of stuff, whatever. And, and, and in society, they were the, they were up here and I was down there as a slowly bicycle courier, except I'm like ripped, skinny, the receptionists are, hey, hey, guy, you know, <laughs> even though they were working there to meet the rich guy, they sure liked the looks of the other guy, you know, the guy who didn't have all the money, but looked good in those Lycra shorts. Oh, God. Anyway, so <laughs> whatever. But I remember, so my, my thing is, I remember thinking like, holy shit, this is fucked. Like what we're taught is to be successful is to be living in one of these cubicles and to be in this glass office and da da da. So just let me tell you, just bear with me for a second. So I'm thinking of like an accountant, let's say, let's say an accountant or a guy who, you know, he's like, okay, I want to make all this money or a lawyer or whatever. And they, they go and they get this job. And, um, so, it, you know, something that's interesting for me is sometimes people, we end up doing the jobs that actually can sometimes help curve our Issues. So if a person grew up in a family that was very fearful of money and taxes and all that, it's sometimes people can become an accountant. So they make sure that will never happen again, except, so that's a, that's a, that can be, and I'm not saying this for everybody, but that can be a reaction to an old story, an old pattern, whatever. But then one day the accountant sitting there and going, okay, so the world's telling me I'm doing okay. I'm making $200,000 a year. I go, these letters after my name, da, 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 da. But actually what I do is I actually go and sit in this box and I look at pieces of paper with numbers. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I would imagine that there are some accountants that are like, this isn't like there's their soul inside that goes, this isn't actually what I want to do. And then they become depressed. Their body starts telling them in the same way that my body was telling me to do something different. The body starts telling them do something different. Um, and that's the part where it's like, yeah, get, like um, maybe you want to, like I, I see it all the time. People, yeah. people, they go to Tofino for the weekend and they, they're like, oh, fuck, I never want to go back. And then they, but they do that once a year and the rest of the time they're in the office. And meanwhile, their body's telling them, I think your body, depression is, can be your body telling you something, do something different. Except then you go get a pill or you become an alcoholic. Yeah, because that sedates the agony that's actually um, going on in, in some ways. And, I, I, you know, I think about that, too, because um, whatever we're doing, like when you were doing your surfing or your boarding and all of those things, it's like those provide for us a meaning and a purpose. Mm -hmm. So we wrap our identity around 
around what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But, and that meaning is, is, um, is I think, crucial. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things to examine in the depressing process um, that I, I just love exploring this with people because it's phenomenal what people come up with. And it's that simple, that simple question of sitting down and thinking about, now, um, pulling out all the stoppers and saying, if I weren't depressing right now, what would I be doing? Mm-hmm. And it is amazing because people will say, well, actually, you know what? I'd be leaving my partner mm-hmm. or I'd be off on the other side of the world, you know, painting in Fiji or yeah. uh, or I would tell those jerks to fuck off or, you know. Yeah. And so so there's all these these desires. A lot of times I think um, – I think it was Carl Jung who talked about this. He said that most of the people, oh, maybe it was even when he was referring to himself, is that um, deep inside we all have a deeper truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet we fail. When we're failing to live that deeper truth, that's when we're getting ourselves in a lot of really deep, yeah. <laughs> deep doo-doo yeah, over yeah, that. Yeah. And so I can imagine like when when you've been on a high and things are going all great, there comes a time when that, you know, something's going to shift, something's going to stop, something's going to happen. Yeah. And then it's a call to to what is my what is my deeper truth cuz for a while those things are the deeper truth. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's we're doing what we want to do. Yeah. But then there's a point where something shifts, something yeah. changes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the deeper and it's funny talking about Carl Jung, the deeper truth for me that I wasn't willing to show or own or be a part of was and I don't like to use this term, but I'll just but there's a part of me that's highly highly sensitive and just yeah. dying to to live on this planet and be okay with that part of me and with other people in that place. And I just, I just, I just wouldn't have that part of me. And then finally it was just like, got louder and louder and louder. It's like, you need to fucking acknowledge me. And you know, Sean, I, um, a lot, when you tell me, I didn't know you way back. Uh, but when you talk about yourself way back, often a phrase I hear you say, I don't give a shit, I didn't care, I don't care about this. Mm-hmm. And you see, that's the shadow side. To the to the extent that I am living out and expressing in the world, I don't give a shit, I don't care, that's exactly the other side of that is how deeply I do care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. that's part of what I think I've seen happen with you is the... Um, in a sense, the coming out <laughs> mm-hmm. of the closet with the depth of of your caring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, absolutely. And the the you know, and and I look back at the people that I surrounded myself with, and in, in throughout my whole career and uh, filmmaking, but even prior to that, I would always kind of attached to these certain misfits. Like there would always be like, even like I'd be into skateboarding and snowboarding, surfing, and then I'd hook up with this person who didn't skateboard, snowboard, surf, but then I'd become really close friends with them and stuff. And and now looking back, I think that all of those people were very much similar to me that they came, they were very, you know, if if from the outside, it was like, they're very confident. They got their shit together and da da da. But looking back, I'm like, oh, you're fucking hurting too. 
like you have that range as well. You have that range to be this very high, fly above the mountain, yeah. type A, take over the world, and there's this other deeper part of you. And I think that that I used to just automatically connect with people like that and be like, you know, people that other people think are crazy. Like that guy's out of control. He's a this and that. Like not crazy, like certifiable. I mean, more like crazy, like take over the world kind of crazy. Yeah, like wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wild man. At the same time, they look really good from the outside as well. They're making shit happen. They're grinding, all this kind of stuff. And then there was like, but it wouldn't really make sense as to why I'd be hanging out with this person. Mm. Like, why are you hanging out with this car salesman guy when you're supposed to be a snowboard filmmaker? Or why are you hanging out with this F or racing or Formula One racing car guy when you're actually supposed to be the snowboarder guy. This guy's kind of. Well, you see, know. I think that, yeah, the, see, that's that perfect balance. Like, that's one of the proposals is that in all of nature, in all of our existence in this universe, there is a natural balance. There is a balance. Yeah. And so there's always another another side to totally. everything. There's a counterbalance to everything. You know, uh-huh. what you, yeah, it's like a flower. You watch a flower open. A flower doesn't open on one side side and the other side stays closed. It's always a balance. There's always a, um, yeah. A balance. To that. Yeah. And so, for example, when you talk about, okay, you're hanging out with that guy, like like for you, that guy is living and expressing in the world in some way or another something that you haven't yet acknowledged or owned or want to mm-hmm. want to live with in yourself. Yeah. And you are for that person living and expressing and being in the world with something that he may not even know he has a desire, for example, to live that kind of life. But, uh-huh. but that, so the draw, we're drawn to each other in that. We're drawn to each other. That's how I think that that underlies a lot of our sexual attractions, a lot of our, um, why we're so attracted to some people and want to be in relationship or we want to own them or we want to be around them all the time. Uh-huh. Because... Ultimately, there is this deeper seeking for our wholeness and our completeness. Uh-huh. And going right back to the depressing process, I think that if there's if there's enough support to be able to embrace the the difficulty of that and even the terror of that and 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 address that as this is this is a, a portal. This is a portal into the depths of something that wants to be recognized or acknowledged or expressed or learned in myself rather than trying to just medicate ourselves out of it or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or hate ourselves even more. Uh-huh, or hate ourselves even more. Or or just get locked into the terror of, of it all, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's complex. It's very complex. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's something that I... I I like about you and that I think, I think I said it in that intro was like, we are, everybody's different. Every single person. So when anybody, any, anytime anybody's ever saying, this is how it is, this is what you got to do. Now there is some stuff that makes a difference. Breathing. Yeah. Eating, whatever. Yeah. But, But to treat people as if, oh, you have depression. You have this, you have that, you, or, you know, with this whole thing about somatics and all these, we were laughing about this last night, all the, all the buzzwords around shame spirals and, mm. and uh, what's that called? The developmental trauma and all this birth trauma and all this stuff. These, these labels are, in, in my opinion, are just as dangerous as saying you're depressed. Yeah. It's well, a label. Categorizing someone That's, into a, into a, a particular statistic or category, I think is to take away their, 
take away their personhood. Totally. And yeah. and when a person's in a weakened state, which I think I was when I was, I call it weakened state because that's the only word that like I was just in a vulnerable place and didn't kind of like lost a sense of self. I think I lost a sense of my construct of who mm-hmm. I was. And when I'm in that place and someone starts using words like depression or shame spirals mm-hmm. and all these other things, like I'm just like trying to latch onto anything to make sense of whatever, except yeah. here's the thing. It was never going to make sense. You were meant to go through this. Yeah. And, you know, I do think, I mean, I've, I've heard lots of people uh, talk, talk to me about once they did receive a diagnosis, they were actually relieved. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it was now, Validated. now finally I've got something to validate, but yeah. also I've got something to focus on and I've got something to learn about. Yeah. So so people, again, depends on the person yeah. because one person will find that actually beneficial because mm-hmm. they'll go, okay, now I can learn about this, I can I can explore this, Um and and it, it's helpful. It's mm-hmm. actually helpful. Yeah. And yet, and for some people, it uh, it becomes it becomes uh, a cage or a prison. Mm-hmm. It's like it's yeah. a sticking point. An identity. An identity. And they identify a... with it and lose their own their yeah. own sense of identity and and a loss of recognizing the possibilities because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in limiting the possibilities which is i think really really dangerous cuz all of us have this capacity for myriads of possibilities the difficulty is when we're in certain states in certain states of mind we don't recognize i've been in i've been in situations in in my life um I know many, many thousand years ago when I was a, when I was a young woman, I was in a, a violent relationship. I was in a in a battering situation, and I literally did not see that I had any other options or alternatives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but to stay there. Yeah. So when people tell me that, when they tell me I don't see any possibility, I believe them because yeah, I've yeah. been there. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. And. Um, and and so that's again some of the privilege or the benefit or the beauty of being in in circles is that we begin in in sometimes completely surprising completely unpredictable ways mm-hmm. boom suddenly there'll be just sometimes it's just a glimmer of light it's mm-hmm. just a little mm-hmm. opening mm-hmm. Wait a minute. There's actually a possibility that I'd never even considered before. Yeah. So you know it's, that's the. That's the beauty of it or the magic of it. It, it really is. Yeah. The, the magic, I mean, you know, and just to give you a heads up, we're at an hour now, so we're okay. hour and 10, and I know you got to okay, go. Better. And I actually, so I want to talk to you more about lots okay. of other stuff, sure. so we'll do it's other cool. times. But we can keep going or we can end this. But the one thing I do want to say is that the going around the circle, it's funny. For me, the, like, um, you know, a lot of people ask me about, like, what? What I don't know, it's so funny they call it the circle or workshops or fuck it's just whatever. But <laughs> um, <laughs> you have to come up with another name. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but the but something happens when I think actually the most powerful part of being in circle is actually the first night or the first day when when it's like hey just say your name and why why you're here mm-hmm. what you might and then I've watched I've watched a group full of thirty people somewhere around that number. And I've watched, like, I'm just looking around the room and I'm seeing terror in people's mm-hmm. faces. Like, I don't want to be in this circle. I don't know these people. What is this personal growth bullshit? All this kind of stuff. And then and then as it goes around and I can see people go, oh, fuck, I'm not alone. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm not the only one who feels like this. And and like I, I, it's so important. I'm not talking about people who are, you know, messed up. I'm talking about ev everybody because everybody's messed up. That's the thing. But it's like as this goes around the circle and you start to realize like, oh, I'm sitting in this circle and I'm, you know, my story was I'm this filmmaker and I have this perfect career. Who are these losers in this circle? They obviously can't figure life out. And then you start realizing, and then some guy across the circle, he's also a filmmaker and he also has, and it's like, oh. I'm not alone. And, you know, and it's so powerful. That is the biggest thing. I think that can take the bite out of the shame and the guilt. Because I hear that all the time. Holy shit. I thought I was the only one. I've been kicking the shit out of myself because I've been feeling down because I'm not supposed to have any problems. We're supposed to be perfect. Not the case. Not if your body's trying to tell you something different. So that's all I want to say is that, that, the, that being in circles, being in groups with people is just so... It's, if you ever get the chance... If you ever get the chance to do any of that work, do it because it doesn't need to be perfect. If you get one thing out of a workshop or a being in a circle from a week long or a month long, that's worth it. Like one major thing that can be hugely beneficial. And I've been thinking about the the thing about personal growth. So there's three kinds of growth I've come up with. There's there's no growth, which is like just and you know what? There's there's something to be said about these kind of people. I lived with a guy for ten years who six beers on Friday. 12 on Saturday, back to work on Monday, happy as shit. You are who you are. Yeah. I am what I am. I was so jealous of that. I was like, oh, man, that would be awesome. You know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with that. So that's true. He didn't want to change anything. He never will. That's cool. That's great. And then there's personal growth, which is, which is, I think, the most powerful position you can be in is that I'm actually willing to – I actually can do something about this right here. So all these people try, trying to – social justice worries and all this kind of stuff just take care of yourself first and and, and start there and then see what happens but the one the, the term i've come up with recently i've been laughing is i call it opg other people growth which i think a lot of people are in it's like they're trying to get everybody else to change except that's a really rough place to be because actually it's pretty much impossible it's like and i actually hear and i've been part of that too it's like oh this person did this or this did this, or society did this and this and this. And that's a really, that's victim and that's a really scary place to be. Other person growth. Like I'm not really interested in other person <laughs> growth anymore because it's like I can't do anything. But you want to talk about helpless, holy shit. I'm trying to get you to be someone you're not <laughs> so or don't want to be. So anyway, that's just my thoughts on that. And uh, I think we should end it now unless there's anything you want to say. So the context was depression and I know we could go on and on and on, but is there anything you want to say in, in ending this or? Well, <clears throat> just that for me, this is just the beginning of a discussion because there's so much more mm -hmm. uh, to offer about um, depressing and the alternatives to depressing, but there absolutely are alternatives, mm -hmm. lots of alternatives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to depressing. I like what you said about a diagnosis can be okay. Like, yeah. Um, and that's, like I said, what this is about for me, because I've been in that depressing It can be workshop. a beginning. It of, can be a beginning. It's like, okay, so, so, I mean, if a doctor was listening to this, I'd be like, okay, so, okay, so, you know, you have all the signs of someone who is depressed or de depressed, let's say, mm -hmm. okay, so... And there's lots of alternatives to taking these pills. There's mm -hmm. like right now I can see lots of things that you could be doing differently. And there's, there's these workshops, there's these people, there's these support groups, there's books, there's da, 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 da. So take the diagnosis. That's great. Um, and then, then go come from a place of curiosity. 
And yeah. what can I learn about this thing called depression? Because mm-hmm. the percentage of people who actually have chemical imbalances mm-hmm. versus the people who do it to themselves, I think, is a big. And I, one thing I would I would just tweak in that is I can learn about depression. However, the thing is, is this is the invitation now to begin to learn a lot more about who I am, uh-huh. or you know, to the other person, to who the other person is to who you are and what's really driving you mm-hmm. and what do you really want to experience in your life and mm-hmm. what have you not been saying and what have you not been doing and what have you not been feeling and and are you you know yeah yep yeah 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 like an opportunity to, to really take a look and get honest Get yeah. honest about yourself and get curious mm-hmm. and be like, what am, what's really going on here? And really discover what are the, what are the riches, like what, what is it deeply within myself that I haven't been willing to excavate or look at at this point that, that is de- wanting expression at this point in my life? Because, mm-hmm. you know, what am I going to be? Is it depression or expression? Uh-huh. Is it obsession or Expression. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Is it suppression or ex- expression? expression? Yeah. So there are so many alternatives and, uh, you know, so one of the one of the things I guess that, that for me has worked is if I think that I want to change, that I no longer want to be stuck, if I want something to be different in my life, the challenge is, is that when my desire for something different to happen becomes stronger than my fear of whatever it is I've got to go through or address for that to happen. When my desire becomes stronger, that's when it's going to happen. So focus on my desire. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Because a lot of times if I get stuck on trying to analyze my problems and get stuck in my problems, <clears throat> I'm actually stuck in my problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where if I start shifting and go, what is my desire? Yeah. And that desire becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And I fuel mm-hmm. and feed and nourish my desire for that. I will move and change. Yeah. So I like it. No, that's 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 huge. I like it. It's like uh and when it becomes when it becomes stronger than the fear. It's, yep. it's like stronger yeah. so than just the fear. Focus on the desire. Yeah. And it's yeah, got it. Yeah. Fear's gonna be there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so anything else you want to say? You good for now? Good for now. Okay, well, thank you very much. Bye for now. (laughs) Bye-bye.